Good morning. I'm Todd Marcy. I'm pastor of Connection and Life Groups here at the church. And I want to welcome everyone here in the auditorium as well as those in the venue and those joining us via carneyfree.com online. It is so great to come together as a community and and just uh, worship together and uh, to dive into God's Word. This morning, we're going to be taking a, a look at how Jesus provides a number of ways, a number of examples within this passage And in terms of preparing his community, those closest around him, to weather the storms that are right out ahead. I was looking into how it is that they used to make these masts for these giant uh, sail ships that would go out and travel the sea. And what they would do is they would go to the forest and they would try to find a tree that looked just right for the job. And once they found that tree, they would take and clear out the other trees around it so that over time, it would take the blunt of the storm. And over the next years, as it would weather the storms, it would grow stronger, be ready for the job at hand. But even the greatest of masts that would take those huge sails on began itself as a seedling. And in the early stages of growth, it would be surrounded by other trees, and they would start growing up together, and they would all be taking their formation as well. And yes, certain ones would rise to a different level, but all the way along, they were, in a sense, being nurtured and grown and shaped, kind of like a community. And then others would be set aside and and would play a different role. We all face storms in this life. There are points at which we all go through challenging times, but part of getting us ready for those is what we do in terms of a community, how we are built up together for what lies out ahead. I want to invite you to join me. If you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 13. Go online, however it might be, and and open up the Word with me. We're going to begin in verses 18 to 30, and there we're going to discover a way in which Jesus strengthens his community. Look with me, if you would, at this passage. So Jesus has just talked to them about serving one another, and he says, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the Scripture He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens so that when it happens, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. I tell you the truth. One of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. 
leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Jesus took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you're about to do, do quickly. Jesus told him, but no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Would you join me in prayer? God, as we look into your word this morning, I pray that we would not come in the way of your message, that we would see how what you spoke to your closest of friends in the darkest of your times is important for us today. God, may you strengthen us through your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in that name we pray. Amen. One way in which we see Jesus strengthening his disciples is that he cares for them. He has their best interests in mind. Consider some examples that we have here. Jesus cares about, the, about what the disciples are going to experience. He knows that what lies out ahead for them is going to be very rough. He wants them to be able to recover and on the other side be able to understand what he's been telling them. He wants to help them get beyond the tragedy that they're about to face. He cares about their experience. Jesus also cares that the disciples will believe who he is, that he is God the Son, that he is the Savior. And he wants to make sure that when they go through what they're about to face, that they look back and they recall, he is who he said he is. He is the I am. And so Jesus is concerned that they will come through this tragedy believing in him. And Jesus also cares despite what his disciples are about to do. They are going to fail to the T. Think of Judas. He knows that Judas will betray him. We, we saw that in verses uh, that we've just read. We also see, saw back in John chapter 6, verses 70, 71, that Jesus, having spoken to the twelve, says, yet one of you is a devil. Very similar to what he says here. He knows that Judas is about to go out and betray him, to bring upon him a whole crowd of people who will take him into custody and take him off to be executed. And then there's Peter. We have Peter who Jesus has... I've come to a point where he's getting ready to confront him as well. And we see in verses 36 to 38, this dialogue between them. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, 
Why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Jesus knew what Peter was going to do. Jesus knew that Peter was going to be struggling as, as he was walking about and following Jesus nearby, watching what was going on. He knew that Jesus was going to be questioned over and over again. You know him. We've seen you with him, haven't we? And yet Jesus would deny this very close friend over and over again. He also knows that the disciples are going to flee, every one of them. John chapter 16, verses 31 to 33, we find this. You believe at last? Jesus answered. But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus knows that not only is Judas going to betray him, not only is Peter going to deny knowing him, but he knows that every one of this inner circle will flee at some point in the hours ahead. They're not going to go far. We find them gathering back together in those days right after the the death of Jesus. But they're going to scatter. Matthew 25 Excuse me, Matthew 26, verse 56 says, But this was all, this has all taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. What I see in this is that even though we fail, Jesus still cares for us. He cares for us. Now, if this were me, I don't know that I could care for the closest of my friends the way that Jesus did. If I knew that on staff there was a pastor who was going to go out and turn me in to be executed... And then there was another one of our pastors on staff who was going to, in the midst of my darkest time, deny that he knows me. Oh, we've seen you on staff. We've seen you listed, and we've seen your picture. We know you know him, don't we? And then everyone would just take and run this way and that as trouble begins to rise. I don't think I would be so caring as Jesus was. I don't think I'd be concerned that they know who I am. I don't think I'd be concerned that, that um, here's what you're going to be going through, and so I really care about you. I want you to come out on the other side much better off. I want to strengthen us as a community of pastors. I want to do that for you. I, I wouldn't be there. That would not be my response. And we as a church, the, the staff, share a set of values 
trust, integrity, camaraderie, growth, empowerment, equality. And there's no doubt in my mind that among the disciples, they had similar understandings, that they as well had certain things by which they abided. Whether it was that well laid out or not, my guess is they had certain expectations of how they would conduct their lives in terms of one another because Jesus kept laying out one step after another of how they could be stronger together. In the Old Testament, David knew what it was like to have the closest allies of his commit treason. Psalm 41.9 says, Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. Sounds a lot like what we have here, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like what Jesus is saying. Pastor Tim Keller made this observation. All other gods say, fail and you will die. Our God says, fail and I will die for you. All other religions say, our God is too great to die. Christianity claims, Our God is so great that he died. Jesus cared for them. And he gives us a a great example of how if we want to strengthen our communities, if we want to strengthen our groups here at church and, and our households and our neighborhoods and so on, we need to care for one another. And there will be dark moments, there will be dark experiences within our lives, but we need to truly care for one another, have the best interest of others out in front of us all the time. Jesus gives us example after example of what it's like to do that even in the heat of things. Next, even knowing they will not grasp until later, Jesus gives the disciples a picture of what will set them apart as they both recover and as they begin to cover the world with his gospel. Look with me, if you would, at verses 31 to 35 of John 13. When he was gone, that being Judas, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Here we find that another way in which Jesus is strengthening their community is through his love for them. Now, understand this command is not so much new in terms of its content. It's, it's not something unheard of. It's, 
It's new in terms of its current emphasis. It's new in terms of how he wants them to understand it. We find it in the Old Testament. We find it in the New Testament. It's, it's exemplified. It's spoken in various ways. But Jesus knows troubles lie out ahead. And when the disciples face them, there is a chance that it could become the catalyst that will just break everything down, that it will bring things to a crashing halt. Jesus knows that they need to understand his love for them. Luke 10, 27, Jesus answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. As they were asking Jesus, trying to corner him, trying to trap him up, they asked him, how would you rank the commands that we're giving? And Jesus brings to their mind the love and the importance that it not just be in a closer group of people, but that it spread out beyond. That whoever your neighbor is, that you would love them as yourself. Jesus knows that love will need to play a foremost part in their community if what he has taught them over the past three years and modeled for them is going to have any significant impact. He knows they must understand that he loves them. Following their father Jacob's death, Joseph's brothers were a little concerned that he might hold a grudge. You see, just decades earlier, they decided to send their young brother into slavery. They were tired of him. But in the process, uh-oh, Joseph rises to a point where he is number two in a country that they need to go to and get help from. And they discover all of a sudden it's their brother. Well, now dad, now dad dies, and they're concerned that he will retaliate against them now that dad's not there to run interference for them. I love how Joseph responds. In Genesis 50, verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That sounds a lot like Jesus to me. I know what you're going to do. I know you're going to fail me miserably and very boldly. But I love you. Because I know when all is said and done, I will be glorified. God the Father will be glorified. You will see me to be who I am. And in the process, others will come not only into salvation, but to glorify our God. I see beyond that. And I love you. When someone listens to our conversations, 
reads our posts or observes our behavior toward others, I wonder, is there anything that might cause them to question our love for them? Think of our circles of influence. Think of our household. Think of our neighbors. Think of the people at our workplaces. What about, for instance, um, our neighborhood as a whole? How is it that in our life groups that when they look at what we do and say and write, might they question our love for them? Might they wonder if we really have their best interest at heart? Take a history trip with me, if you would. Way back in the day, God created Adam and Eve. And when he placed them into the Garden of Eden, they had this beautiful place, phenomenal place wherein they could just live life and enjoy it to the full. But there came a point where they stepped into sin and since that point on, this ribbon of sin flows throughout all humanity and dives right into our own lives. Go forward a bit further, and we have the nation of Israel, God's chosen children set aside for him. And we see them go through these cycles of rebellion and repercussion and repentance and restoration, and it just goes over and over again throughout their entire history. They keep failing even though they get restored. They over and over again choose to sin. Go, go a bit further forward, and we had the New Testament. And we would really have a very thin book if it weren't for all of the mess-ups from the very first book of the Bible to the very end of the Bible. Letter after letter to the church in the New Testament spotlights a number of ways in which the church is struggling. They're failing. They're falling short. And yet, without ceasing, God's love for us wins the day. Jesus' love strengthens his community. And we now have the opportunity to use that same love his example, his words, in terms of strengthening our own communities by not only caring for them, but loving them. Well, the final way that I see within this passage in terms of God strengthening his community so that they might move forward for his glory is that God, is that Jesus strengthens his community through intentionality. Jesus is intentional with his followers. Because his, he knows his disciples do not fully understand, will forget, will be choked by failure and grief and experience separation anxiety, Jesus is intentional. He's purposeful in building their inner relationships with one another. He knows that as a community, they need the strengthening. He knows that his intentionality with them will help 
take them to that point. So over and over again, he speaks into their lives. He knows the end goal. He knows where they need to, need to be. And he takes them down that path very intentionally. Some of us may recall Joe Garagiola, great catcher in the major leagues. There's a game in which he had a pitcher who was just being brought up from the farm teams. He'd been in the minors. He was now getting his debut as a pitcher in the majors. And he's in trouble already. First and second batters got hits. They're on second and third base. And Joe the veteran knows that he's got to really step up. And he's got to help the pitcher deliver at this time. Because no other than Cardinal great Stan Musial is getting ready to get up and potentially slug one right out of the park. So Joe gets in his stance and he sends him a signal for a fastball. And the pitcher shakes it off. Sends him the signal for a curveball. Pitcher shakes it off. Slider, a changeup. Again and again, the pitcher shakes it off. Joe gets up, calls times out, and runs out to the mound. He says, I have thrown you every pitch in the book. What pitch do you want to throw? The pitcher just stood there, and he could tell he was scared, and he said, nothing, Joe, nothing. I just want to stand here and hold this ball as long as I can. We all get in those points where the fear of failure just grasps us to the point that it strangles us to a stop, doesn't it? And we don't know how to go forward. Well, Jesus knew that he had his closest followers in that spot. And he needed to help get them through to the next level. We have a great God, don't we? We have a God who cares so deeply about who we are and where we are at in life. He's concerned about us. Jesus knows his disciples are going to fail. That is why Jesus cares for and loves them. That is why he is intentional with them. Jesus tells them they will fail the test, but they will pass the class. I've been in that spot. Maybe you've been in that spot where you know it's crunch time in the class and you have no prayer because of how miserably you've failed. Uh, there are people who go to certain types of schools, for instance, law school, and their, uh, almost their entire grade will depend upon one test. And they will go in and they will sit for hours, not leaving the room until they're finished, taking the single most important time of the semester when it comes to their grade. 
And we've been there. And Jesus already knows where we're going, so he has seen fit to lay the groundwork for us to understand that he cares for us, he loves us, and he's done that intentionally. And we're in the spot to do that for others. Here at E3, let me apply it another way. We believe that every person matters. That's our vision. You're going to hear that over and over and over here. That's our vision. It's very simple. It's three words. Every person matters. We can all own up to that, learning that, can't we? Every person matters. We believe that that should work its way out through every ministry that we have. It should work its way out through all the conversations that we have. It should work its way out when things are going great. And it should work its way out when things are tense. We also believe that life change happens in community. One evidence of that is as you came in today and you saw the, the various tables set up out there just ready for us to go out and find out how we could get involved in community here at eFree. We believe that's because life change happens there. That when we're coming alongside each other and we're caring for one another and we're loving one another and we're being intentional about those relationships, life change happens. And we do that because we truly believe every person matters. I believe another important way to speak this into our own lives is that for some hearing this message, it's time to move from being disciple to being leader. We have been at the fridge long enough. We have sat in the class long enough, interacting, asking questions, learning more and more and more. We've weathered the storms very well. And we are at a point now wherein it's time for us to step up. It's, we know inside us that, you know, there's this nudging saying, I really believe I could do more. Not add more to the list, but simply my engagement, my commitment, my ownership of this particular ministry, it's one in which I believe I could impact others' lives. God has done so much for me. The community at eFree has served me so well. I believe it's time for me to step up my game. And that may be you. And if so, I would encourage you to, to stop by one of the, the tables out here, read the signs, see which one to stop by, or simply connect with the office or fill out the handout attachment, whatever it might be. Connect with us and say, I think I'm ready. Let's start that conversation. Let's move forward. Well, even knowing our future failings, Jesus cares and loves for us, and he has spoken into our lives. 
But there are some here today who are piled beneath a mound of failures and regrets. Perhaps your life may be draped with a cloak of shame. You may live with the spoken and unspoken ridicule and judgment of others in ways you may not grasp now Jesus cares for you. He loves you. He's engaging in your life in ways that you may not understand, but as you go through the storms of life, you can look back and say, he was there. In ways you may not grasp now, just like Jesus' disciples, they didn't grasp everything at the time, and Jesus knew that. Jesus cares and loves and works on your behalf day in and day out. That's why when we go to sleep, we can do so well because we know that he's awake. He's in control. If that's where you're at, if you're at a point where you're like his disciples and you are in the midst of a trial, lean into him. Allow Jesus to do his work within you and on your behalf. He wants to do that. He doesn't want us under a bunch of burden. He wants us to release it to him. It's what he was asking his disciples to do. I want to invite you to, to join me in prayer. And let's lean into that. Let's step toward Jesus. Would you join me? Oh, God, we thank you for your living and active word, that it's not dead, that it still speaks truly into our lives today just as it was true centuries ago. And, God, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you are at work this very day. God, some are getting ready to start school, and, and they're going to college. They're, going to, they're starting grade school or high school, whatever it might be. Maybe they're a teacher or a staff member, and they're making those transitions right now, and they're entering into it not knowing what's next. And they, they thought they knew who they were. They thought they were in a solid place, but they're, they're thinking now they're not. And God, there, there are some at the other end of life, and life is just a struggle. God, may you help them understand that you care for them, that you love them, that you are actively engaged in their lives in ways that they may not grasp right now. But may you help bring those to light for them. And God, I pray that in the process, we would extend those various aspects into those within our circles of influence, that we would strengthen our communities, our households, our neighborhoods, our life groups, our workplaces, because we show them care. We show them your love. We're intentional. Jesus, may we lean into you.
May we seek your understanding and your direction because you care for us.